John chapter 6 is the passage. We're going to look at verse 22 to 40. We're looking at the first part of what Bible scholars call the bread of life discourse or the bread of life sermon. This passage fits perfectly with the overarching theme of the Gospel of John. We've talked about this regularly in this study, John 20. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we've talked about the idea that throughout John, he doesn't use the noun version of this word, faith. He uses the verb version of this word, believe. He's calling us to an active response. We're not passive in this. We are believing, actively believing the truth about Jesus. We believe that he's the Christ, that is, he's the Messiah. We believe that he's the Son of God. And we believe that because he came to give his life for ours, we can have true and eternal life, not by being good people, but by believing the good news about Jesus. Now, the bread of life discourse, John 6, 22 to 59. This sermon is connected to the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about at the first part of John. And so verse 1 to 15. And the background for all of this is the Passover. And so if you look at John 6, verse 4, John tells us that the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Many people would have traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Jesus did that multiple times, but in this instance, he did not travel to Jerusalem. He stayed up north in Galilee. Many of these other people were also staying in Galilee, celebrating and observing the Passover. That means on everyone's mind is the Exodus. God saving his people from slavery in Egypt. God providing bread for his people in the wilderness. God leading his people safely through a watery trial as he parts the Red Sea. And all of the things happening in this story, in this context, are pointing us to those same ideas. Jesus provides bread for God's people out in the wilderness. And everyone makes the connection. They know this is just like what happened last time. Jesus, in the middle of the night, not everybody saw this, but the disciples experienced it. He leads the disciples safely through a watery trial as there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and he brings them safely to the other side. And they were supposed to take that as a a, a flashing bulb or a, a warning sign or a reminder. Jesus is doing the same things God did for his people in the Old Testament. So these two stories are connected. What follows and what we're going to dig into this morning is essentially a speech or a sermon or a discourse, and it was delivered in the synagogue in Capernaum. That's not obviously apparent at the beginning of the discourse, but if you just look at John 6, verse 59, John puts a bow on the things Jesus was saying, and he said, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he's crossed the lake, A little bit of time has gone by. It's the next day. He's teaching in the synagogue, and these people who ate the meal the previous day have crossed the lake. They're looking for Jesus, and they meet with him in this synagogue. The speech is remarkable. 
on a number of levels. There's so many amazing things that Jesus says in this passage. Perhaps the most notable is the fact that this is the first of seven quote-unquote I am statements that you'll find in the Gospel of John. There's seven of them, and I'll just put them up on the screen so you can see what they are. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. These big statements where Jesus is revealing something about who he is, bread of life. The big idea is very, very simple. It should be obvious at this point. The big idea is this. We must believe that Jesus is the bread of life. That's the big takeaway from this story. When you leave today, having looked at the first part of the Bread of Life discourse, the question is, do you believe the truth about Jesus? Namely, in this passage, that he is the bread of life. And so what I want us to do is read. We're going to begin in verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 40. So we're stopping in the middle, and we'll pick up next week with the rest of this sermon, this discourse. So this is the Word of God, John 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's pray. 
Lord, what a high and a holy privilege to listen to the words of Jesus. God in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The burning that we life. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be mindful to come to Jesus and to listen. Not to come with expectations, not to come with demands, not to come with an agenda, but simply to come and to listen. And I pray that you would give us hearts to believe the truth. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to believe that Jesus is better that, uh, than anything in this world. Father, and I pray that we would leave this place today believing that Jesus is the bread of life. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever played the game, Would You Rather? Anybody ever played this game, either cell phone version or the board game version, or maybe just the informal version with friends where you sort of throw questions out? The premise is really simple. A question is asked, would you rather this or that? And if you're playing the game, you have to pick this or that. You don't get to have both. You don't get to say neither, neither. you got to pick one. And then the interesting part is sort of debating or arguing why you're right and why somebody else is wrong. And so I grabbed a few questions from the game, and uh, we're just going to play a few rounds here. Okay? You ready? No arguing with your neighbor. Be nice. Just a simple show of hands. Nobody gets to abstain from voting. Nobody gets to vote present. Here we go. Would you rather be covered in fur or covered in scales? Who's on the fur team? Fur? A lot of fur. Any scales? A few of you. Would you rather spend a year in jail or lose one year of your life? How many of you are going to prison? How many of you are not going to prison? There you go. Interesting. Would you rather, this one has three choices. I'm, I'm kind of breaking the rules, but I like this question. Would you rather be able to talk to land animals, flying animals, or lying animals? You got to pick one. Land animals, flying animals, a few of you, water animals. There you go, land winds. This is one that is very pertinent to Odessa, Texas. Would you rather hit every green light for the rest of your life? <laughs> Wait a minute before you vote. Wait a minute. Or would you rather never stand in another line for the rest of your life? How many of you are taking the green light? A few of you. How many of you are passing on the lines? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Cut to the front. Would you rather, okay, this one presumes uh, is about music, okay? Every time you hear a song, would you rather, without choosing, you just immediately start dancing to that song, or you immediately start singing to that song, right? Worship team is going to go, we're Baptist, you're going to go with singing, Right? Not dancing, singing. How many of you would pick dancing because your voice is so bad you don't want to sing? There you go. How many of you would you rather, would you rather be able to, to teleport, meaning like just appear somewhere else, leave one spot, beam me up, Scotty, somewhere else, or read people's mind? Whoa, 
Wow, that was interesting. How many are going to say, beam me up, Scotty, take me instantly? How many of you want to know what the rest of us are thinking? You people are weird, man. I do not want to know what you guys are thinking. No way. No way. You know, the game is fun. You can see the, the point of the game. The game is fun because it takes something kind of silly, kind of trivial, something that's probably not going to happen one way or the other, and it makes you take a side, and it helps you sort of get to know the people that you're playing with. Well, why did you pick that? Well, why would you not pick this one? Why would you pick that? One more question, and I don't want you to vote on this one. I just want you to think about this one. This is not from the game. This one is from John 6. No voting. Would you rather get one miracle from Jesus anything you want, blank check, any one miracle from Jesus? Or would you rather be able to sit and listen to Jesus talk for an hour? The people in this story came to Jesus and they wanted the miracle. And at least what they said is, we just want one more. You and I know their heart. want one miracle. And what they got was a lecture, or a sermon, or a discourse, or whatever you want to call it. And even in the middle of it, they got to interact. They got to ask some questions. They got to give some pushback and some feedback and hear how Jesus responded. And it was not what they wanted. I just want to make sure you understand the scene. Jesus has fed these people the previous day, right? They're out listening to him teach. Everyone gets hungry. There's no McDonald's. Jesus feeds the whole crowd, bread and fish, as much as you want, and there's leftovers. John 6, verse 15, says the crowd was ready to come and take Jesus by force to make him king. We want to make this guy the king. Because the last time somebody fed God's people with bread in the wilderness, we overthrew the world's superpower. Maybe we could do it again. This is the guy we need on our side. We want Rome out of here, and our bellies are going to be hungry tomorrow. They got manna every day. What if we start getting manna every day? Can you imagine what you would do with your free time if you didn't have to worry about making and earning bread every single day? This would be the greatest. Let's make him king. When they approach Jesus, in verse 25, they call him rabbi. Teacher, we're here to learn. And Jesus immediately exposes them. And essentially, this is not in the text, but essentially what Jesus is saying is, you're not here to look for a king and you're not here to look for a rabbi. You're here for the bread guy. That's what you want. You had your fill of the loaves yesterday and you're here because you want more. This is really sort of crossing a line in Eastern culture. Jesus is shaming these people. He's causing them to lose face. He's exposing their inner motives. You remember that question about knowing what people are thinking? He's taking what's on the inside of these people and he's putting it on display for everyone to see. And he's saying to them, you're not here to make me king. You're not here to listen to me teach. You're here because you want bread. They come, and the question in verse 25 is just sort of awkwardly strange. Rabbi, when did you come here? They knew the answer to that. 
They ate with Jesus the previous day. So sometime between the previous day and the next day, Jesus went there. This is like the seventh grade boy at a dance trying to walk up to a girl. And instead of just saying, would you dance with me? He says like, what'd you do today? Like it's just awkward and you, you cringe when you see it and you say, when did you get here? And he completely ignores the question. And he gets right to the heart of the matter. And he launches into this sermon. And he says, I am the bread of life. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? We're going to talk about believing in Jesus in a minute. But first that phrase, what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? We could say a lot of different things. I want to sum it up in three thoughts. Number one, it means he came from heaven. It means he came from heaven. There's a parallel here, and the people saw it, and we ought to see it, between God providing manna for the Hebrew people in the Old Testament and Jesus providing bread in the wilderness. It was an obvious parallel. And they come with all the expectations that maybe Jesus will do all of the things that Moses did. The idea is that that manna was not man-made. The Old Testament says that these people ate the bread of angels. They ate a a heavenly food, a supernatural food, an otherworldly food. And it showed up in the morning and then it was rotten by the very next day. But it was something that came from outside of what they could create or produce. Right? The solution to their hunger problem came from outside of themselves. And Jesus is saying, I'm like that bread. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. God has sent me. I came from God. I didn't come from this world. I came from another world, as it were. Look at verse 32. Jesus said, truly, truly, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It wasn't earthly bread. It wasn't wonder bread. It didn't come from the grocery store. My father gives you true bread from heaven. Look, Moses got that bread from a a supernatural, otherworldly source. And I have come from the same source. It's not of this world. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. Jesus is trying to drill something into their minds. And what he's trying to drill into their minds is, the thing you need most is not going to be found here, inside of you or anywhere on this earth. You can search for it high and low. It's not found here. It comes from heaven. That's the opposite of what the world tells you today. The world tells you in lots of different ways that all of your problems are out there and the solution to all of your problems is in here. Right? It's your environment. It's your boss, it's your lack of money, it's the color of your skin. It's all these external things are your problem. And the solution is to be found inside of yourself. You dig down deep and be true to who you are. And Jesus is saying something completely countercultural. He's saying, no, 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 no. Your biggest problem is actually right here, your heart. And the solution to that problem is not going to be found by digging deep or spiritually navel-gazing. The solution comes from heaven. So he's the bread of life. It means he came from heaven. Secondly, it means he provides true life. True life. 
I know that in 2019, we hear a a sermon about bread and we think, didn't Jesus know about gluten sensitivity and doesn't, hadn't, is he not up on the Atkins diet? You're not supposed to. These people, they didn't think about all of those things, right? These people heard bread. These are poor, agriculturally supported people, and they thought, that's life today, my daily bread. That's going to get me through today, and tomorrow I'm going to need a little more bread to get through the day, and the day after that I'm going to need a little more bread to get through the day. That's how I stay alive physically. And Jesus picks that image and he says, you know what? Just like that bread keeps you alive, I'm the bread of life. And he's talking about true life. Look what he says in verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. There's something you can partake of. It's not going to be here today and gone tomorrow, but if you partake of it, you live forever. Look what he says in verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. I'm not just talking about a meal that gets you through the afternoon or a really big meal that gets you through a day. I'm talking about life that never, never ends. Thirdly, Jesus gives satisfaction, lasting satisfaction. We just read verse 27. There is a food that perishes, but... You need to labor and seek the food that endures to eternal life. And the Son of Man can give you that. No one else can give it to you. Verse 35. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and if you come to me, you won't hunger. And he clues them in on something right here that that should have told them, we're not just talking about literal food you eat, because he says, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you don't hunger, and if you believe in me, you don't thirst. He's saying there's a a longing deep in you, a need deep within you. And if you come to me, you will find that need met and you will know true and lasting satisfaction. Not like I need lunch and I need a, a big glass of iced tea from roses and then I feel refreshed. But something that lasts true satisfaction. I heard a song not long ago. It was by a non Christian person. There's a part of the song where this guy's talking about all the things he's tried to fill his life up with. And at some point in the song, he says something like this, how can you swallow the world and still be hungry? I'm trying everything, and I'm just shoveling it in as fast as I can, looking for something that's going to fill me up. And at the end of it, I'm starving. When you think about this idea that Jesus and Jesus alone provides true and lasting satisfaction, it ought to break your heart for your family and your friends who don't know Jesus. It's a tragic thing to watch people go through life and try to swallow the whole world and come out on the other side and realize, I'm starving. On a spiritual level, I am absolutely starving. So Jesus is the bread of life. His solution comes from heaven. It's not from within us. We can't conjure it up or make it. It comes from outside of us. It provides true life, not just getting you through the day or the week or the month, but true, lasting, eternal life, and it gives lasting satisfaction. It puts all of the things in your life into place where God meant them to be and where sin messes it all up. Now, what does it mean to believe that Jesus is the bread of life. There's a lot of things Jesus says here. We're going to boil it down to six thoughts, and we're going to go through these pretty quick. 
What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the bread of life? Number one, you need to understand that believing in Jesus is open to anyone. It's open to anyone. Verse 35, whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. Verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. You don't have to worry about whether you got the right color of skin or the right amount of money in your bank account or you've done the right religious routine or ritual. You just believe. It's open to anyone. Right? I made a joke about lines in Odessa. This is not like going out to eat in Odessa. Right? You go out to eat in Odessa and you've been here very long, you immediately ask yourself several questions. Right? How many people are going to be in line? How long am I going to have to wait there? Am I, going to, am I going to be able to get in? And if I get in, will they have enough people to wait on the tables so that I actually get my food in a timely manner? We ate at a restaurant yesterday. We got right in as soon as we walked in, and they were so short-staffed, you just sat there forever, and you thought, I don't think we're ever going to get lunch. We have a nice table here. It's not like that where you sort of wonder, if I come to Jesus, will I get in? You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know how checkered it is. You don't know how inconsistent I am. And Jesus just sort of sweeps all that stuff aside and says, if you come and you believe, you're not going to be hungry anymore. If you come and you believe, your thirst is going to be quenched. If you come believing in me, I will receive you and welcome you and give you eternal life. It's open. Secondly, it requires grace. Believing in Jesus requires grace. This is one of the most offensive parts of this sermon to people in the United States in 2019. And what's clear in our part of the sermon is going to become super clear next week. And the people who heard Jesus said it hated it. But what Jesus is saying to them is, you can't do this on your own. Spiritually, you don't have the spiritual ability to come to me apart from grace. And as Americans, we don't like that idea. We say, oh no, yes, I can do it on my own. And Jesus says, no, you cannot. And 2,000 years ago, they heard Jesus said it and they raged against it. They hated it. And Jesus says, this is just, it's just the facts. Who will come to Jesus? Look at verse 36 and 37. You have seen me. You people have seen me. You heard me. You ate the bread that I made yesterday, and you don't believe. Seeing is not enough. Hearing is not enough. Eating the bread, the physical bread that Jesus made, it was not enough. You don't believe. Verse 37, who will come? All that the Father gives me will come. God will be gracious to these people, and when he's gracious to them, they will come. And it's not just God's grace that allows you to come it's God's grace that keeps you. Jesus, verse 39. The will of God, the will of the one who sent me, the will of the Father is that I would lose nothing of the ones that he's given me. They're going to come by God's grace, and I'm going to keep them by grace. It's not going to be their spiritual metal or stick to It's going to be a result of my grace. 
Number three, believing in Jesus means seeking the giver over his gifts. Is a big theme in the bread of life discourse, seeking the giver over his gifts. When they ask Jesus about when did you come here in verse 25, they're really not interested in a travel itinerary. They don't want, you know, a time stamp date on when did you arrive and what are your plans. What they want is bread, and Jesus exposes them in verse 26. He says, you are seeking me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You are looking for me because you want more bread. You want a gift, not the giver. Look at verse 30 and verse 31. They said to him, what sign do you do that we could see you and believe? Just do one more sign. That's all we need. One more sign. Do one more sign. For example, verse 31, I don't know if you need a suggestion here. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Remember, they got that every day. Every day they got bread. You could do something like that, and then we would believe you. And Jesus exposes them. He knows that they are not seeking him. They're seeking the gift. I think every parent experiences this at some point in time. And if you're a parent, you've, you've gone through it. Your kid comes to you and they ask for something. could be a big thing, a small thing, but they ask for something. And for whatever reason, you as a parent know they don't need that thing. Or maybe they don't need it right now. And so you say no, or you say I don't think so, or you say maybe later. And the immediate response of your child is what? Sulking lip sticks out, crying, weeping, gnashing of teeth, laying on the ground, pounding the floor, screaming, you hate me, you're the worst parent. I mean, you fill it in. Really what they want is what you can give them in that moment. I think all grown children realize this at some point when you lose a parent or a loved one and you realize that what I really want is not the gift, but the giver. I mean, really, let's, let's tee it up as a would-you-rather question. Would you rather have your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa back, or would you rather have the Christmas present they gave you in 1983? Pick one. Well, that's a no-brainer. Nobody's on the other side of that. I want the person back. I want the giver back. Forget about the gift. It doesn't mean anything. It was here and gone, and it didn't last, and it wasn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things anyways. I want the person. Jesus is trying to get these people to understand that saving faith is different than coming to God asking for gifts. It's different than coming to a little more bread. Actually double-dog daring him to come through on a little more bread. Believing in Jesus means you seek the giver over the gifts. Number four. Believing in Jesus involves faith. And I know that's a strange sentence on the surface. But I want to explain to you what I mean. Believing in Jesus involves faith. How many of you have ever used the phrase, seeing is believing? Right? How many of you have ever used the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it? There's an NFL player caused a lot of trouble on his team. 
got traded to a new team, caused a lot of trouble on that team. This morning they announced he's with a new team, and he is promising to be the best teammate ever. I mean, he is 0 for 2, and all of a sudden he's going to be really Mr. Upstanding Guy. And you look at a situation like that, and you just want to say, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? Prove it to me. Maybe you can think about people in your life. You've, you've been burned by somebody, and then they come around and they say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come through for you this time. And you just want to say, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I want you to understand that on a spiritual level, that phrase really doesn't jive. Because that's sort of what the people are saying to Jesus. If we could see one more sign, then we would believe. And Jesus says, you saw a sign. You saw a sign yesterday. You ate your fill of the loaves, and yet you don't believe now. Jesus understands that our biggest problem is not a lack of evidence. It's not a lack of information. It's not that we just need to see one more miracle. It's that we love ourselves more than God. That's the real problem. It's not that we need a little more proof. It's that we love ourselves more than God and His glory. It requires faith. It's something that you don't see. And the ultimate problem is not a lack of evidence. The ultimate problem is sin. Believing in Jesus involves faith. Faith in things that you can't see. Number five, believing in Jesus rearranges our priorities. John 6, 15, they want a king. John 6, 26, they want a free meal. These people are so tangled up in this world, they cannot see past the end of their nose to think about eternity. I mean, they just cannot even get their mind thinking about eternal things because all they can think about is their next meal. This is not new, right? True in Jesus' day, true today, true in the fourth century. There's a pastor named John Chrysostom, and he said this about the people that he observed. He was a pastor in the the area of Egypt. He said, men are nailed to the things of this life. I mean, that's us. We just we get so connected to the things of this world that sometimes we just have a hard time separating ourselves from those things, seeing beyond those things. And it might be politics. It might be your children. It might be your hobbies. It might be your favorite sports team. It might be any number of things that we just nail ourselves to these things. For these people in this particular moment, it was bread. All they could think about was bread. They had the Word of God made flesh standing in front of them, and all they can think about is bread. The things of this world. When you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, all of your priorities get shuffled. And all of these things that once were of supreme importance to you are not as important as they once were. And Jesus is put in his rightful place. One last thought. Believing in Jesus requires selflessness. Selflessness. These people are using all the right lingo. You're the king. You're the rabbi. And it's just a thin veneer. It's a thin facade on top of a mountain of selfishness. And what they're really doing is coming to Jesus and they're saying, we would be willing to make you king. We would tip our hat to you and acknowledge you as king if you just do what we want you to do. Who's really in control of that situation? It's the people. 
trying to manipulate Jesus into a corner. We'll tip our hat to you. We'll give you this title. We'll make you a little lapel, you know, name tag. We'll get you a special shirt made. We'll put it out on your office door. You just need to do X, Y, and Z. It's pretty clear in this discourse that Jesus is not interested in a tip of your hat. These people are essentially what you might call fair weather or bandwagon fans. And they think they've found a good bandwagon to hop on. You're right. Football season is here. You know what a bandwagon fan is. Bandwagon fan says, I'm going to pull for the best team as long as they're winning. And when they start losing, I'm switching to the guys that win. And you all know there's nothing worse than a bandwagon fan. Like, pick a team, stick to it. My team is the Jayhawks. We lost to Coastal Carolina yesterday. I'm not getting off the bandwagon. I'm on, right? And these people are bandwagon. Here's a guy that gave us bread. I'm on the bandwagon for some free bread. I will cross the Sea of Galilee for some free bread. I will walk around this lake to get another meal. Jesus, I will call you king if you feed me and fill my belly. Jesus, we will acknowledge you as the rabbi of Israel if you will do what we tell you to do. We will tip our cap to you and genuflect before you. Wilderness a little bit, this temptation. Just, just do this. Just, just do this. And you know, Satan's he's trying to be in control of the whole thing and the people are playing the role of the tempter here. Just one little meal, Jesus. And really, you come to the, the middle of this discourse or you can jump ahead next week to the end of this discourse and you've got a question. Like, what is it that you want from Jesus? Would you rather have... Jesus gives you everything you ever wanted on this earth and you can swallow it all and at the end of it you're still hungry. Would you rather pass on all that and have Jesus? That's the choice that Jesus is setting up for these people. What would you rather have? Would you rather have one more meal, one more paycheck, one more room on your house, one more accomplishment for your kiddo, one more day at the, at the lake or whatever your favorite hobby may be, would you rather have one more of those or would you rather have the bread of life from heaven who gives true life and who gives satisfaction? Let's pray.